Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner here in the Columbus, Ohio office of Reminger. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at Capital University Law School, teaching a number and a variety of courses in litigation, but one that focuses especially on ride-sharing and autonomous vehicle litigation. And I also happen to be a co-author of a recently published book by the American Bar Association entitled Ride-Sharing Law and Liability. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Remager's Columbus, Ohio office. And uh, along with Zach, I'm also an adjunct uh, faculty member at Capital University Law School teaching a course in ride-sharing and autonomous vehicle litigation. And I'm one of Zach's co-authors on the book published by the ABA on uh, ride-sharing and autonomous vehicle litigation and liability. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affects our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. Exponential technological advances in the last two decades have transformed how we travel, how we do business, and how we communicate. Nearly every part of our daily lives are evolving and changing to incorporate the benefits offered by these new technologies. And while in many ways these new technologies offer convenience, they can also create uncertainty. For instance, how does using an in-home smart speaker impacts one's right to privacy? Are ride-sharing services safe? Who is responsible if I buy a defective product from an online retailer? Are cryptocurrencies the wave of the future or a passing fad? This podcast will explore these questions and others related to emerging technologies and will offer insight into how the law is responding to the new issues arising in our increasingly technologically advanced world. On today's podcast, we'll be continuing our ongoing discussion related to ride sharing. And if you've listened to the prior episodes, uh, we've covered basically what ride sharing is, how it's defined, how it works. And we've discussed the historical trends and, and how we got here to where ride sharing is the incredibly popular business that it is today. And in this episode, we'll be discussing what the future is likely to hold for ride sharing and what the trends seem to indicate uh, as far as where ride sharing is heading. So with that in mind, Zach, can you please tell us a little bit about what we see for the future of ride sharing? Absolutely. So there's really kind of four main areas that I'll be talking about as it relates to the future of ride sharing. You know, one of those is going to be the pandemic, right? Because COVID-19 has played a large impact or had a large impact on a lot of businesses, so including ride-sharing companies. The next is going to be this kind of struggle to identify um, or recognize the gig economy worker and kind of are they employees, are they independent contractors, and, and how those how that kind of dichotomy is, is explored. The next is going to be kind of the expanding business models of some of these companies while they are seeking to kind of grow and kind of branch out into other you know, areas to generate more revenue. 
And the last one is the, the potential future use of autonomous vehicles in ride-sharing companies. And so those are kind of the three, or I'm sorry, four areas when we talk about the future of ride-sharing companies that probably have some of the largest impacts. And, and so, Zach, let's break those down a little bit. Uh, I believe the first thing that you mentioned is the impact that the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has had on the ride-sharing industry. Can you please tell us a little bit more about how that um, huge event obviously has has impacted ride-sharing? Yeah, so it comes as probably no surprise to people that COVID-19 and the global pandemic has had a, a significant impact on ride-sharing companies' traditional business models, right? And so I've seen a variety of statistics that have been offered through various studies. Um, you know, one of them that came out in July of 2020 indicated that something like 65% of regular transportation network company users, i.e. the customers, the, the riders, had actually indicated that they had stopped using the services. And so, you know, kind of still within the first few months, the first four or five months of the pandemic, we saw this survey suggesting that 65% had stopped using the services. Now, that's a major... Um, that's a major number um, who of a major decrease. Now, when we started to see, you know, later in the year in 2020, we start to see that Uber had indicated that when it looked at riders who had had at least taken one ride or bought at least one meal through Uber Eats, there was a 16% decrease at the end of 2020 year over year. And so when you've look at that, it means that, and frankly, this number was a, is a little confusing, right? Because a lot of food delivery companies had seen a spike or a rise in usage during the pandemic. And so it's a little unclear when I read this statistic, whether it meant that the ride sharing component, the traditional Uber business model had seen a significant decline that was offset at least a little bit by the increase from Uber Eats. But regardless, we still see this 16% decrease. And so um, that's a very real number. And now Lyft indicated that when it compared um, monthly active users, they saw a 45% decline from 22 million to 12.5 million in the fourth quarter of 2019 compared to the fourth quarter in 2020. And so what we've seen is, is you know, at various points in this pandemic, the business model, um, or not the, the business model, but we've just seen the, the ride, the usage de declining. Now, we've also seen these companies put in um, safety precautions, right? Because of this, we've seen mask mandates for riders and, and pass for, and, and drivers. We've seen increased cleaning activity. Um, we've seen a number of steps that they've taken to try to limit the spread and to make the, the ride for both the driver and the passenger as safe as possible. And Zach, one of the things you touched on uh, was a a spike in the use of 
uh, meal delivery services that use gig economy drivers, um, which is a, a bit of a shift in the type of service that is we typically envision when we talk about a ride-sharing driver. And is that something that we uh, expect to see continuing where there is sort of an expansion of what the service is being offered by ride-sharing companies uh, is? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that what we're seeing here just in general is that there's a lot of these kind of more personal delivery services being utilized. And so when we talk about it in the restaurant context, we've got Uber Eats, which I just alluded to. We've got DoorDash, Grubhub, Postmates, you know, among a, a whole other slew of services that are kind of out there on a more regional or even based upon their own restaurant kind of basis. But what we've seen too is some of these companies have started to kind of expand and branch out. Like for example, a recent expansion that was recently that was just announced a couple of weeks ago here in Columbus, Ohio, was when Uber teamed up with Script Drop, which is a prescription delivery service to deliver medicine. And so what we've seen um, is that I, I think that most of these um, ride-sharing companies are going to continue to look at and look for those kind of business opportunities to continue to expand their business. And with that expansion, obviously, um, any increase in the use of, of ride-sharing or the services being provided uh, is dependent on there being people to uh, drive the vehicles. Uh, and obviously the pandemic has placed a lot of uh, economic stressors on a lot of people um, and included in that is workers in the gig economy. So can you please tell us a little bit about what some of the issues are that are developing or facing individual workers within this type of gig economy work? So there's been this kind of struggle now for a number of years, and it started, frankly, before even ride-sharing companies, as we know them, have kind of been in the marketplace. And it deals with these the gig economy workers and the struggle to place them within the, in the traditional model of employment here in the United States. And so... Here in the United States, most people probably know we have this independent contractor status, and then we have the employee status, right? And so there are two distinct categories, and I know, Kenton, that in later podcast episodes are going to discuss these in much more greater detail. But what we've seen over the last 15 years is this kind of struggle for the law to recognize these gig economy workers for what they are at times, which is really kind of this hybrid between an independent contractor and an employee. Because the reality is, is that most of these, these gig economy workers are working in a context where they have a lot of flexibility to accept jobs, to decline jobs, to work when and how they want to, or as much or as little as they want to. But also, we've got this situation where they're, they're largely controlled or by one specific company. And so the company tells them when to pick up you know, a, a passenger, when to where to drop them off. Um, it directs how much they're going to make per the ride. 
and it really it really sets up standards for the ride of um, you know what their vehicle needs to look like and things they need to comply with and so there is some control that is put in place now the companies would argue that those are standards or those are suggestions or those are regulatory compliance issues but it really becomes this gray area right as to whether these people are independent contractors or um, employees. And so what we've seen is one of the the large um, kind of legislative responses to this was what's called Prop 22 out in California, which essentially seeks to identify this kind of third category of workers. And it was recently passed. And what what it seeks to do is essentially provide some benefits to these workers while still allowing them to retain their traditional independent contractor status. And so we've seen through you know, open letters written by the CEO of Uber that you know, they're pushing for a, you know, a national recognition of gig economy workers as essentially a third category um, of workers in the context of the traditional employee-independent contractor relationship. And so from both a legislative and a a legal case standpoint, we're seeing these issues kind of wrestle themselves about and kind of come about in, um, you know, in in the modern challenges of these ride sharing companies. And Zach, one of the um, perhaps most exciting things um, that ride sharing may have in store um, is the use of autonomous vehicles to provide these services. And can you please tell us about how we see um, the interplay developing between autonomous vehicles and ride sharing? So I think it's funny that you describe this as kind of an exciting development because I think for a lot of people, and some of whom who may be listening to this podcast, it's actually a scary development. Some people, and, and the statistics you know, are very are very strong on this, that the American people still have a really um, strong hesitancy towards autonomous vehicles. I I find them fascinating. I'm excited by their prospects. You know, and I look forward to the increasing autonomous uh, features in vehicles. But there is a there's a, a kind of a big hesitancy still, as this technology, frankly, for some is just scary, right? And it's not uncommon to read articles about, you know, a, a, an autonomous vehicle failure to kind of help to cause that fear. But you're right. It is a, it is a big development. And frankly, uh, for a lot of industry analysts, they see this as the future of ride sharing companies. And in fact, a lot of them have even suggested that as car manufacturers start to push this technology and advance it, that some of these car manufacturers may be starting their own ride-sharing services. And so, you know, the ride-sharing services that you and I may be talking about on this podcast five years from now or 10 years from now may not even exist today as we know it. And so what we see is that, you know, from a business model standpoint, businesses are traditionally, you know, looking to cut costs. And in the ride-sharing context, one of the ways to do that is to remove one of the costs that you have, and that is paying the drivers. And so if you are able to utilize an autonomous vehicle 
and removes the cost associated with the driver from the equation, theoretically, these ride-sharing companies can become profitable or more profitable, depending upon the case may be. And so I, I think that when, what we need, when we look to the future, almost all industry analysts are predicting that that's how these companies are going to actually make money or, or become more profitable is by utilizing autonomous vehicles in lieu of utilizing drivers to provide their traditional services. And so it is an area that, you know, we, we anticipate over the next, you know, four or five years to kind of pick up steam. But, you know, there's a large, um, there's a large disagreement, I think, among analysts as to how quickly we're going to see this technology actually adapted and utilized in these ride-sharing platforms. I mean, if you would have asked me five years ago or so how soon autonomous vehicles would be here, most industry analysts were predicting that 2020 was the year. Um, for autonomous vehicles, that is. And while a lot of people would tell you that 2020 certainly was a year, um, it wasn't the year for autonomous vehicles. And so as we look to the future, we still see that we're, you know, five, 10 years away, at least from seeing fully autonomous vehicles widely adopted. And so we still have a ways to go. Um, and how quickly that gets here, we'll see. And maybe that five to 10 years prediction will be like the 2020 predictions that I just referenced. And, you know, those will be off by, you know, a period of time as well. But certainly as we push um, and look to the future, that's certainly going to be one of the, the main areas of, of interest for ride-sharing companies. That'll conclude our discussion today of what the future is likely to hold for ride-sharing companies as they continue to grow and develop and make use of new technologies. Uh, please be sure to join us next time for the next Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies where we will be discussing some of the specific legal issues that can arise in the context of ride-sharing. Mm-hmm.